Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi there, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. And you may remember us from such hits as Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, I was reminded today that Washington is actually a city in the country of the United States. As I was trying to get here, and we're recording Friday instead of Thursday, trying to get here, and my path was blocked by the World Wrestling Federation, or is it World Wrestling Entertainment? Colin, I know you know. Which is it? Is it WWF, WWE? WWE. And I was blocked by them unloading at the Civic Center, and I, I realized that normal American families who live out in the suburbs will come in to Washington, D.C. and watch wrestling just like normal people and that Washington isn't isn't just the Emerald City but is a real city in the United States. No comment. <laughs> I am, I am ever... just desperate to only be in Washington, D.C. when absolutely necessary and I want to be in real America. Re- quote unquote real America. Well, I think where you want to move, people definitely watch wrestling. Have you ever been to a wrestling match? No, and I'm, I never will. Oh. Unless I have some kid who is I, obsessed. I highly recommend, and it's I, I've I don't think I've ever been to like a WrestleMania kind of big time thing, but I highly recommend going to semi pro or sub pro professional wrestling Chris, we only have so many hours on this earth <laughs> i don't it's pretty Those good are hours where i could be shopping or i used to go reading down to, or on a beach i used to go down to south charleston west virginia now i'm not saying that the six pack of beer didn't help <laughs> but i used to go down to south charleston west virginia and watch some semi-pro wrestling and it was it was all right well chris you said we are known from such hits as ink stained wretches and yes. you are also known for from such oh, hits as fo- the fox news channel and that brings us to our front page. Fox News is definitely atop our front page because Rupert Murdoch was deposed this week in the Dominion voting systems lawsuit. And he acknowledged in his deposition that although Fox News hosts Janine Pirro and Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo endorsed the idea that the election was stolen, there's some kind of fraud going on. He did not believe it for a moment. He said, quote, they endorsed. Mr. Murdoch said under oath in response to direct questions about the Fox host Sean Hannity, Janine Pirro, Lou Dobbs, and Maria Bartiromo. I'm reading from the New York Times piece. I would have liked us to be stronger in denouncing it in hindsight. Well, well, sure. He added, while also disclosing that he was always dubious of Mr. Trump's claims of widespread voter fraud, asked whether he doubted Mr. Trump, Mr. Murdoch responded, yes. I mean, we thought everything was on the up and up. At the same time, he rejected the accusation that Fox News as a whole had endorsed the stolen election narrative. Not Fox, he said. No, not Fox. By the way, the thing that Rupert Murdoch cited as evidence of that Fox was not in on it was our call of Arizona which he also is recorded here and firing my boss, Bill Salmon, over. So weird how things work out. But anyway, it's good, and we've said this before, it's good that they're acknowledging that we were right and that it was good to do, and that's, that's, that's a good start. I think what's interesting, there's another point in the deposition where Murdoch says that he could have directed the hosts to say things differently but did not. And he also says that basically the reason is that Suzanne Scott was the CEO, is the CEO, and was in charge of the company. So he was clearly setting himself up, well, yeah, I could have done more things, but I didn't because that's not the arrangement we had, and he tried to separate himself out from that kind of day-to-day decision-making. Well, it's interesting because he was making certain requests of her about personnel and about programming where he was saying, lean into this, go hard on that, make sure Sean Hannity doesn't embarrass himself in this way or that way. 
What I, and, and I think listeners who are really interested should look over the deposition itself. I've tried to go look at the primary documents in this stuff because the... How Straussian of you. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> the press reports are pick and choose. I mean, like, for what concerns the lawsuit, it's really the Piero, Dobbs, Bartiromo things, but the press is really picking out, t- tends to pick out, what did Tucker Carlson say? What right. did Sean Hannity say? And that, that, like, has nothing to do with the lawsuit, really. But what I was really struck by in this was was Rupert's sort of supine posture in the deposition when it came to the voter fraud allegations yes. like yeah I didn't need to do that much and also his contrasted with his leaning into other stuff and it made me realize in hindsight how important what what an important role Roger Ailes played yes. in that Suzanne Scott was doing whatever she was instructed, essentially, by Rupert Murdoch. Or, Fire this person. or the okay, talent. Okay, they're fired. Or the talent. Right. And I, I was wondering, because you were there for lo- much longer than I was and at a higher level, if you could talk a little bit about the differences. But that's really what jumped out at me is that you had, like, basically two weak managers and that Rupert's been there the whole time, but there's obviously been a change in how Fox is managed. Well, Rupert's been there the whole time, but when Roger ran... It was like Roger was bossing him around well, and standing and, up to him. And Roger managed to keep Rupert at bay throughout his tenure there because Roger created the what I thought was mythos, but may have had some truth in fact, that only he could manage Fox and only he could deal with the monsters who were the anchors. Something I want to... Uh, point to if to do another counterfactual, how different the story would have been if Megyn Kelly had somehow been able to stay at Fox, if that if that would have worked out and how differently the story would have gone down if she still would have been there. And when you compare her to Hannity, Carlson and Ingram and how unlikely she would have been to have said, yeah, let's this lying to the we ha- we must lie to our audience. It is crucially important that we deceive our audience and suck up to Donald Trump. Those three were urgently engaged in a mission to punish the decision desk, Jackie Heinrichs, other reporters. That's not something that I can imagine Megyn Kelly having done. So you can just see the the difference between a Fox that was, look, I don't, I don't pretend that Fox prior to 2016 was the McNeil Laird news hour, but there were differences between opinion and news that were clear and distinct and provided safe harbor for people like Bill and me and others. Chris Wallace, that was, the, so there were there was that clear delineation, number one. And number two, which you alluded to, the idea that you would allow this sort of infighting and this sort of attack was just beyond, it, the micturate, you were supposed to be micturating, you were supposed to be in the tent micturating out, not outside the tent micturating in. So how do you think Roger would have handled this if he saw primetime hosts on the business well, network the and time, the regular news channel leaning into this? By the time Roger met his end at his own hand, he was a he was a defeated person. His but uh, it Trump came along as it was very unfortunate for Fox because right at the moment when Trump came along, Roger was crumbling from within and was, you know, totally freaked out about Gabe Sherman's book about him. And, but we didn't know why he was so freaked out because we didn't know the stuff he had really been doing. Neither did Gabe Sherman. Neither, obviously, the joke <laughs> is it wasn't in the book. Gabe Sherman's book came out and we were like, yeah, we've all read this before. What are you talking about? We didn't know the, we didn't know the whole story. Anyway, the, it's, it just wouldn't, it would not have gone down. Roger in his prime, this would not have gone down that way. And I think the, the long and the short of it is elections produce artificial, not artificial, but temporary rating spikes. The a presidential election cycle is for the news business, and it's not just Fox. It's the New York Times and the Washington Post and every cable network and every news outlet. The run-up to an election, and it's starting now, right, with the primaries, is the bonanza. Local television, ad rates, everybody, this is the this is the the hot this is high cotton for them and it's a four-year cycle they get a little bump in the off year or in the midterm but after it's over you know what happens the numbers go down and the obsession with the numbers and the 
commoditization and metrification. I want to, by the way, say I went on the fifth column podcast and it was really good. So thank you. That was really good. I enjoyed that very much. So we'll put a link to that in our show notes and in the newsletter. Those guys were great. And Matt Welch wrote up a nice, wrote it up nicely, a, a reason. But, you know, my point there to those guys was when you start a news business or you engage in news, you have to be willing to report the news, even when it is not to your advantage, right? You have to be willing to do the stuff even when it's not to your advantage. And at that moment, Fox was not willing to do, to pay the price for being a news organization. If you want the platform to call yourself a news channel, you have to be, you have to take the downside with that too. And they were looking for a way to avoid the downside. And you know what they did? They screwed themselves in the long run. Instead of taking the hit quickly and letting Newsmax get a tiny ratings bump for a minute and then evaporate and blow dry up and blow away. Instead, they they mortgage their future for a short-term sugar high. Next question, which was raised in a Puck article, headline, will Rupert Murdoch make a blood sacrifice? You know, we could read long paragraphs from it, but the upshot is, will he fire a Fox News CEO, Suzanne Scott? And they don't know the answer to that. But my question really was, I mean, Okay, he could fire her, but what would that do? Would it would it get him anything insofar as the lawsuit is concerned? And would it get him anything? Sure, better management would be good, but but what exactly would that get him, or how would it help him? Well, I, what <laughs> I what I would do if I was Rupert Murdoch would be quit and not would do any of this anymore and go be rich. But if I were Rupert Murdoch and wanted to continue to be a media impresario. Yeah, if you were Rupert Murdoch, you would not be 92 and still working. You got that right. Yeah. They'd never see, I'd be long gone. But the, I think what should happen would be you would pick a good journalist and you would clearly put them in charge of the news division. You would get a new CEO who came from outside of the company and had clean hands and you would pick, and then you would pick a journalist to put in charge again, somebody from outside, you'd pick a journalist to put them in charge of the news division and say, there's going to be a, we're going back to a clean distinction between the two we've reformed and this is what's going on. And this should buy some goodwill, right? This should buy some goodwill. We heard what you were saying. We've made a change. This is what we're doing. That should buy some goodwill. I just don't, and I've said this for a while, I don't see how the current leadership team makes it through this, even if it's not a blood sacrifice. I, I, I just, from a corporate standpoint, I don't, under, I don't understand how people who we now have read were this bad in a crisis that you keep those people. And I understand why you don't want to fire them in real time, but they, were, they screwed it up so much, I don't think you want to keep them around. The Washington Post, Greg Sargent at the Washington Post, ah. is very happy that... This guy. Um, Democrats. And I saw Chuck Schumer on a soapbox yesterday talking about this opinion. Finally, Democrats appear ready to wage war on Fox News. It was funny. I didn't quite Finally. know. Finally. Sometimes when you send articles, I don't know where you're going to come yeah, yeah, yeah. from. But I, like, I, of course, like, saw this and laughed. But I'm I'm relieved that your yes. take is, is the same as mine. Yeah. Finally. I was thinking back to when they were when they were kicked out of the pool. Fox yes. News was kicked out of the pool. I, well, let me, let me summarize the Greg Sargent article first. So he's very happy that Democrats are saying, oh, my gosh, Fox News lies, lied to their audience. They're not a real news network, and the Democrats are bashing them. And, oh, finally, we've been waiting listen for this to moment. Chris De- Murphy. Democrats just have not been critical listen, enough of Fox News over the years. Listen, listen to Chris Murphy. I don't think we've ever had a moment like this where a major news network has been exposed as deliberately diluting its v- viewers or readers. This is a seminal moment in the history of mass media, and we need to treat it that way. And Schumer was definitely, uh, yesterday saying the same. Definitely Walter Durante in the New York Times. We don't have any, certainly there are not hundreds of years of incidents of this stuff, that this is, this is as old as the printing press, that people are diluting their readers and viewers is so funny. And then the next, the question I have for Greg Sarchin is, to do what? This is the moment for Democrats to do what to Fox News? To, to shut it down? To nationalize it? To, what, like, what? To... to force them to give what's her name Molly Jong Fast a primetime show what is the what is the suggestion here 
it's it's hilarious. And also, it's like, you know, the Obama administration tried to kick them out of the pool. This is not like a new posture for Democrats. Their, their hostility to Fox News, they're trying to take on Fox News. Um, he, he sneers thusly, given these revelations, doesn't that oblige Democrats to adopt an approach commensurate with the reality that Fox News is systematically and concertedly deceiving millions of people about the most fundamental workings of our governing institutions? This might start with forcefully conveying to the public what's been revealed about Fox News's post-election conduct. What planet does this individual live on? What what moon of Jupiter does Greg Sargent live on? As if Democrats don't talk about this constantly. That I was a witness in the January 6th committee hearings. This has been this has been explored. We have discussed this matter. And I just found Sargent like the the finally comma just put me in stitches. I thought that was hilarious. And finally, in wrapping up our Fox News section here, Semaphore reports that Donald Trump faces a soft ban on Fox and apparently his aides are complaining that he can't get an interview over there, which I I thought this item was really interesting because it does show how the decisions of networks about who to interview and who not to interview have can have political implications. Yes. And by the way, this is the decision that Fox should have made in about September of 2015. So they're they're with it, but they're only eight years late. So congratulations, Fox News, for realizing that if Donald Trump wants to smash your network into 10 million pieces, and that's a Megyn Kelly story again, the time when they should have started denying the platform to Trump, you'd still cover him as a news, as a candidate, but not giving him cushy primetime interviews and phoners from the Golden Throne on Fox and Friends when he started attacking Megyn Kelly and when he dropped out of the Fox debate in Iowa. Instead, they gave him Bill o- a Bill O'Reilly segment pleading, Bill O'Reilly pleading, please come to our debate, Mr. Trump. Don't you see how much better it would be if you do it? And I remember sitting in the convention center in Iowa getting ready for the debate, and I thought, well, we've lost it here. We have lost the thread. Well, that was a turning point, I think, because Roger at that time, he was already weakened. And yep. it, it happened at that, Yep. At, right at that time, realized that Trump had a lot of control over the Fox News audience. And over and, Roger. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have the, the lab leak theory. A new bizarre conspiracy theory about the origins of the virus today. Trump administration officials have pushed American spy agencies to hunt for evidence to support an unsubstantiated theory that a government lab in Wuhan, China, was the origin of the coronavirus outbreak. There's a question about the Wuhan lab. We know that it's been debunked that this virus was man-made or modified. The Trump is, di- is divorced from the facts. There is also no reason to believe any of these conspiracy theories that it was leaked from the lab in Wuhan. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci rejected the conspiracy that coronavirus was man-made in a lab in Wuhan, China. Both scientists and the U.S. intelligence community agree that this coronavirus was not man-made. That is not a possibility. It's because they're trying to deflect attention. That new intelligence report from the U.S. Energy Department, it suggests COVID-19 likely originated from a laboratory leak in Wuhan, China. The Department of Energy, as well as the head of the FBI, saying they now believe that COVID, COVID, COVID emerged from the Wuhan Institute. And this was where I first learned that the Department of Energy has a intel section. Oh, But I guess they handle nukes, so they need some intel, I guess. Maybe the CIA won't share with them. Sure. It's easy to, like, strut around and and stuff. But but it does fly in the face of almost all of the mainstream reporting on the subject in 2020. And this stuff was so smugly discussed dismissed as a conspiracy theory and what i find missing in so much of okay it was the lab leak then and the the russia hoax and all of that stuff is the attitude of smugness confidence and the unwillingness to say we don't know and to treat people, you know, with with a differing view, with with total to, with respect, and also, like they don't know anything. You know, these reporters they don't know anything about where this came from. They're just repeating what they what they heard from experts. So 
this is like a nice comeuppance. New York Post, the wood in the New York Post on the day that the story broke. COVID leaked from Chinese lab, colon, energy department report. And here's the wood. It had to be woo. It was so good. 10,000, high-fiving 10,000 angels. Uh, Truly fantastic. It had to be woo. I absolutely believe that if mainstream outlets had had been willing to have a normal discussion about this, they would have been far more open to where to, to how this happened. You know they knew the proximity of the laboratory to the wet market in Wuhan. They knew that the Chinese government lies bef- in, re- reflexively. They knew all of these things. Why didn't they allow for it? Well, first of all, Tom Cotton said it came from there. And second of all, Anthony Fauci said he was totally confident that it didn't. And, the, and Trump. Yep. And and the, the rationalization was that because It was of, all based on the sources of the information right. rather than evaluating the information on the merits. And And I will say, like, the further I've gotten from the mainstream media and the closer I've gotten to, you know, some other incredibly smart people, one of the things that struck me about people who operate in business or elsewhere is that they take in without discriminating information from so many different sources and they do not elevate what they view as elite sources of information versus like stuff that comes from what we might view as crazy places. It is evaluated purely on the merits. On and merits. and that's something that like that I've learned from and that has struck me. There is really no appeal to authority. And the media, like, that is a real weakness, the appeal to authority. Appeal to authority is a weakness, but also they rationalized their closed-mindedness on the subject because of the adjacency between a leak and an intentional release, right? So the, there were voices on the right that, that were trying to suggest that this was intentional. And out of a desire, I believe, to isolate that and they felt virtuous in in maybe I'll put it this way the right was conflating some on the right was were conflating the two right do you know what I mean yes yep so some on the right were conflating the two things and then on the left they were conflating them as well instead of delineating no 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 it's not this but it may be that instead they both both groups were incorrectly lumping those two things together sure and and I I'm still open to the idea that it could have been intentional. I'm not I'm not closing that off either. Anything is possible. Anything's but, possible. But if it was, it was a very catastrophically bad Totally. Yes. Okay. What do we have next year? Global disinformation. Oh yes, you wanted to talk about Robbie the, Suave, Global Disinformation yes, Index, Inform Thyself. And this is to check back in on the Global Disinformation Index, a British nonprofit that smeared reason as an unsafe news network. And it goes on from here. We talked about it last week, and it includes coverage of the Wuhan, the had-to-be-woo, and all of that stuff. And it, it encapsulates, to your point, the Tom Cotton part, all of the, it snaps, all, Robbie snaps all of this into a, a tight fit here, and it, it is a great summation of what is wrong with institutionalized government-funded disinformation watchdogs. What about your slow, boring piece? Oh, Matt Iglesias. He wasn't talking in his slow, boring newsletter. He was not talking about Wuhan, but the headline, misinformation isn't just on the right. And he talks about with climate change, how the kinds of misinformation, he talks about the look up or don't look up Netflix movie and other things and tropes on the left on climate change he uses that for the example but generally says that this isn't and I, I i think this is something that we fundamentally forget about which is the problem here is not liberal ideology or conservative ideology the problem is human nature right it is that people are a way and we tend to believe that people who are the on the other side are more that way and that those people believe that the other people are more that way, but the truth is human being, human nature is immutable and travels through all time. So here's what Iglesias says. The moral of these stories is that people are prone to bias confirmation and groupthink and the, and the mass public 
tends not to pay much attention to policy issues, even ones they find interesting enough to march in the streets about. This is a kind of tragic aspect of the human condition and not a specific failure of your political enemies. I think back sometimes at my own misinformation on the Michael Brown point. A big part of the reason I didn't know the truth about this is that it didn't matter to me, practically speaking. During the five years or so between the Ferguson protests and Lopez's articles about the tweet, I didn't write anything for which the DOJ inquiry into the shooting was relevant. I was actually so disengaged from this topic that when I started work on this 2019 article making the case for increased police funding, I was a little surprised to learn how controversial the thesis was. After all, I was making the case for the merits of federal police funding initiatives that were pushed by Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and opposed by Donald Trump. The progressive conventional wisdom had moved on from the Clinton-Obama consensus without me realizing it. But I hadn't moved on, even though I also didn't realize Wilson had been exonerated. It wasn't actually policy relevant, so I hadn't been paying attention. And the average citizen has much less reason than I do to pay attention to news developments. And I just I, I just wanted to applaud Iglesias. That was a really clear-eyed. And to see who he was and talk about the problem, not as a, a problem of the right, not be a Greg Sargent, but to be somebody who can who can see it that way, I was really impressed by it. What do we have next? Oh, oh the view. Joy Behar coming through with a with a hot take on Trump's visit to East Palestine, which which was politically very smart. I let's play the clip. Okay. People I don't know why they would ever vote for him for somebody who, who, by the way, he placed someone with deep ties to the chemical industry in charge of the EPA's chemical safety office. That's who you voted for in that district. Donald Trump, who reduces all safety. He yeah. did. Do they showed days. up at Do McDonald's they realize and those voters yeah, but, saw something on the ground that yeah. probably it, resonates in a that's way that the they thing. needed. I, but they need to look past the photo ops, these people, and Wait, say, sure. who's doing the job here? Forget about the photo op. Showing up go. is a big Showing thing, up, I think, is I think this is Donald Trump's fault. I'm just so glad that we have Joy Behar to tell voters what they need to be paying attention to and but what, did, what the just punishment is for their political choices. It's so funny how, you, do you recall Tucker Carlson and others saying the reason that this train derailed is because white Trump voters live in this district and that that's why it happened and nobody cares about it because the because they're white people and Trump voters, blah, 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 blah. And here comes Joy Behar and it's like, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think, I think you're right. It's because they voted for Trump. This is what you voted for. So you deserve to have this spilled. It's people are dumb. And we, it, is, it requires a constant struggle to see the nose on your face. And when I talk about informational junk food and how you know it's junk food when you're consuming it, I know no one is watching The View. I know it. No one is watching The View. And correct me if I am wrong. But no one is watching The View and saying, this is good, solid, helpful information. <laughs> it is wholesome, and I feel better about myself, and I have a deeper knowledge. People are watching The View while, like, they're, it's like background noise. Just That's what most TV is. Try the Weather Channel. My gosh. I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad. Okay. And, and I promise I will, I, will, I will not single out The View for an item again, but I just had to include this because of the Behar-Tucker Carlson parallelism. Up next, we have Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams <laughs> dropped from news out, our, this uh, guy. outlets. This guy. Over <sighs> some racially insensitive remarks, shall we say? Shall we say? <laughs> that he, and when I first saw the headline, racially insensitive remarks, I was like, well, sure, insensitive remarks. Of course he did. Well, why, I, yes, I, I did go in to see what they were. Why, why are people getting upset? Because he's obviously just a rotten person, and he is so mean. What could he possibly have said? And then I looked, and I was like, well, oh, that'll do it. That will get it right there every time. What did he say? That it's time that white people should, quote, get the hell away from black people and labeling black Americans as a hate group. Yep, that'll do it. That's uh, white white nationalism or white separatism. It, if you wondered what it is that will get your lame comic strip finally canceled, it is calling for white separatism. Do you remember when this guy had his started his moment and it was on Fox? I'm right? not a follower. So it started on Fox and it was in the 2016 election and people were giving me the Dilbert 
author's forecast for the election. They're like, well, the guy who wrote, wrote Dilbert says it's Fox. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm more of a dogbert guy. I, I don't really know. It's a terrible, it was a terrible comic strip. And this, and then this guy had all of these cranky theories. And because he was saying what people wanted to hear, I was like, I don't know. He seems like a weirdo. I don't get it. And then, of course, in the end, it's like, oh, he's a weirdo. All right. Check. All right. I, I'm not feeling the energy on these next items. You've got to right, screw you your courage in. to the sticking place. Okay. Hold ja- me through. I had been impressed with James Comer, the head, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and his willingness to go on mainstream media outlets. And that, if you'll recall, that was the interview that Don Lamont got upset. Oh, he was, yeah. That that Caitlin Collins had apparently not thrown scalding water in his face <laughs> during the interview. But I had been impressed with Comer going on mainstream outlets and making his case for oversight. And I thought, you know, that's good. That's commendable to try to be persuasive. And then I read that he went on. I learned two things. Number one, Lou Dobbs has a podcast. Why? Why? I don't know how old Lou Dobbs is. None of these guys can ever hang it up. I I promise you, as soon as I can afford to hang it up, I will hang it up. Okay, but but on News Nation, it is filled with people who, such as Bill O'Reilly, who do not hang it up. The, every place if you were is, him, would you not hang it every, up? Every place is full of people that will not hang it up. Yes. The world is full of non-hanger-uppers. But, I mean, <laughs> Lou Dobbs, come on, baby. Like, it's it's okay. You can you can be gone. But So that's number one. Number two, James Comer, what are you doing going on Lou Dobbs' podcast while Lou Dobbs is a hot round in the chamber of the Fox Dominion stuff, of all of this stuff? And then he goes on and he says that he's he's criticizing the U.S. attorney who is in charge of the Hunter Biden uh, investigation and says this U.S. attorney had 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 dealing, had an opportunity to go after the Bidens years ago. In fact, it was Bo Biden, the president's other son, that was involved in some campaign donations from a person that got indicted as well. But, you know, nothing ever happened. So I don't know much about this U.S. attorney other than he's had an opportunity to investigate the Bidens before and chose not to. We all know that he's just been silent for a long time. Of all the things that you would say if you were James Comer, the, mar- the, the martyred son, the, the dead from brain cancer, publicly mourned over son of Joe Biden is not the place to take the discussion. And that's why you don't go on Lou Dobbs' show, because the reason that you don't go on Lou Dobbs' show is because it will sound like a normal thing to say while you're saying it, because Lou Dobbs is asking you even crazier stuff. You don't need to go on Lou Dobbs' show. We have. Can we add a business section? Can in the in the future? Can we sure. add a business section? Because I think here's the business. You can do section. it before style. Yes. Okay. So first up in our business section, we have Newsmax. How Newsmax's cable fee fight spiraled into the right's latest censorship crusade. This I'm so tired of this topic. Like I don't ever want to hear about Newsmax being dropped again. Well, they want you to keep hearing. I about know. It. I'm not, so tired of it. They are ready to keep talking about it. Oh my gosh, I'm done. Well, that's just an update. The nobody Newsmax is failing, and Republicans are trying to make it about censorship rather than the limited viewership. We've talked about it before. The article will be in the show notes. This one I can get more jazzed about. Puck News reported on David Zaslav's or Zaz's. It's like some the most insidery term. Call him Zaz's. Zaz's presentation to shareholders and he talked about CNN and its new CEO Chris Licht in a in a call he made clear that like you know he's still standing by the guy and but it sounded a little tepid he said Chris Licht and the team are focused on building an asset for the long term across cable and digital that is worthy of that great global brand we are already seeing a more inclusive range of voices and viewpoints as demonstrated last month when over 70 Republicans came on our air during their congressional speaker election process, a first in a very long time. And we intend to continue advancing this balanced strategy, Zaz said. I mean, look, Yawn. Th- well, but wait a minute. I mean, this is this is what you wanted, right? You want pressure from the top to be aspirationally fair and balance it out, right? Yeah, but I think if he thinks that what they're doing is that, 
he's wrong. But you got to um, start and somewhere. I think I think what they think is balanced is not. I still read that crappy reliable sources newsletter, and it is an absurd piece of writing. <laughs> and and I, I just think that I I think this is all talk, no action, and still waiting to see. You know. You know what. I will come here when I get the chart. When we get the Charles Barkley show, I will come here and say, "Wow, it's happening." Until then, it's happening. Until then, I will say, terrible. "Guys, you can say, move to the center, move to the center, move to the center. Diverse range of voices, all you want." Yeah, they had Comer on, and then they had their host crap all over. Well, them. Don Lamont so, has yeah, to Yeah, sure. Go, there right? was a that's, diverse that's... range of voices on there, but that, look how they treated it. Well, I think what I think what you're saying is CNN's a little bound up, Chris. This is this is the Chris special for the week. Uh, he wants to do he he wanted to highlight the AP fact check, noting that constipation does not in fact kill more people than rifles in the U.S. And they're very eager for you to know that the guns are dangerous. Because I had thought, surely, yeah, surely constipation is one of the great killers. And here's the problem with a lot of fact checking: I would have never, and I assume most people would have never heard about this claim. But here you go. Claim rifles killed 297 people in the in the U.S. Oh, it, you would have never heard of it because it, it's some Instagram That's claim. They don't even tell you. They're, it's well, like they, a they, random they eventually, claim on social media. So they eventually tell you rifles killed 297 people in the U.S. in 2022, while constipation killed 2,167. Those are very specific sounding numbers. I assume they're true. Uh, but wait, this statistic uses FBI data from 2018 for the first figure. And cumulative centers for Center for Disease Control and Prevention data for a period of 15 years for the second. Gotcha. Well, who said that? Oh, it was a popular Instagram post. By who? Eh. And by the way, if you saw something on Instagram and you thought it was true, if you saw a fact cited on an Instagram post and you thought it was true, don't vote, right? Just don't. Just stay home. Don't vote. Go ahead and opt out. But, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. What? I didn't see this part. Constipation killed only 207 in 2020. So there you go. Well, now you know. The good news is that that brings us to our style section. <laughs> the Dallas Morning News has fired a reporter for calling the mayor bruh on bruh. Twitter. <laughs> bruh. Now um, that's different from bruh, I think. And we'll have to get Nate in on this, who's wearing some very nice. New Balance. Uh, oh, I complimented on him on his shoes when we walked in today. Sneaker game, 10 out of 10. Yep. The whole situation. And I assume those are New Balance you don't run in. Those are your dress sneakers. Life's, lifestyle. Yes. Those are lifestyle sneakers. I complimented him on those. I assume, of course, that this Dallas Morning News reporter also has lifestyle sneakers. So... So and likes on to skateboard. Saturday, February 11th, when the Tampa Bay Lightning came to Dallas for a matinee match, Mangrum headed to, that's the mayor, to the American Airlines Center for her first Stars game a little before 1 p.m., running late for the puck drop. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The Ma Magrum is the reporter. Oh, so it's a lady who called somebody bruh. Oh, that's very gender cool. All right. A little before 1 p.m., running late for the puck drop, she saw that Mayor Eric Johnson had criticized local media for, in his view, not fully reporting the good news about Dallas's crime numbers dropping for the second consecutive year. The mayor opined that reporters were, in reporters were, only, were interested only in bad news. In a tweet that would change the trajectory of her career. Okay, chill out. Mangrum wrote the following. Bruh, national news is always going to chase the trend. Cultivate relationships with quality local news partnerships. That's not the way her workplace saw it. Three days after she sent that tweet, she was fired for addressing the mayor as bruh. The Lightning beat the Stars 3-1. to one. Later that day, Mangrum got an email from an editor saying her presence was requested at a Monday meeting. An HR rep got looped in, and that's how Mangrum found out she found herself getting grilled by the paper's executive editor, Catrice Hardy. According to Mangrum, Hardy, who is black, asked her if she would have used the word bruh if the mayor were white. Ooh. Mangrum, who is white, said yes. Ooh. Her Twitter feed is littered with the word bruh, directed at all sorts of accounts, including those belonging to hockey fans and the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife. Bruh. 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 
This is the most, this is a kaleidoscope of identity politics. White lady, black executive editor, black mayor, the use of bruh. It's freighted. I love it. Where do you come down? I love it. Should she have been fired for bruhing? I think that's not a fireable offense. I think this person needs adult supervision and mentorship and a slap on the wrist to be told this is not how we refer to. And we don't know what happened before. We, we don't no. know what her other career track no. is. Should she apply at the Beacon? If Should she seek adult mentorship? Eliana will bring you pastry and rectitude. Oh, oh hell no. Oh, you don't get pastry, I, I just the rectitude. I will not be bringing you anything. I will be <laughs> smacking you upside the head. Bruh. Yeah, I will be absolutely smacking you upside the head. Well, we'll do a whole taxonomic usage of bro and bra in, in the forthcoming Inkstained Wretches, Inkstained Wretches style guide. Finally, it is time for our Obsessions of the Week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. Chris, I am, this is, this is special. Quality. My obsession is Axios's scoop because this headline is unbelievable. Well, it's, it's so believable, but it shouldn't be. Their scoop was Jonathan Capehart quits WAPO editorial board, comma, leaving no people of color. And then I want to get into the story, but the editor's note on the piece is as follows. This article has been corrected to reflect that Wesley Lowry was a reporter at the Washington Post, not a columnist. Although, to be honest, you could have you could have, you could have confused could have him for me. an opinion yeah. writer. Yeah. It's also been corrected to reflect that Lowry tweeted his job had been threatened after he announced his departure from the paper, but before his last day. A previous version said that the tweet was after he left the paper. We removed an incorrect sentence saying Capehart was the only black person on the board for the past 15 years. It's been corrected to note that the Times has five editorial board members of color, not three. I love. Okay. I love. It's it's the it's the if if I if I may say, this is the most axi axiomatic piece of all time. Okay. What to watch, dummies? The Washington Post continues to face business pressure as competitors like the New York Times grow. Great insight. I feel like I know what to watch now. Well, here's the thing: Capehart left over a disagreement with the post over an editorial about Georgia. So the Axios says, what happened? Capehart, a black and gay Pulitzer winner. Oh, these asides are so ridiculous. <laughs> Left the board in early December after a disagreement over a December 6th editorial about the runoff between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. They then do not tell you what the disagreement was. They do not. They just link to the editorial. My understanding is that so their editorial, the headline, and we'll link it, is runoff results show why Georgia should be a 2024 early primary state. My editorial is that, or, or, sorry, excuse me. My understanding is that, and you are not, you are not getting this from Axios, there's a sentence in the editorial that says that in Georgia, quote, turnout remained high despite hyperbolic warnings by President Biden and other Democrats that updated voting rules amounted to Jim Crow 2.0. Now, my understanding is that Capehart, as a columnist, had written that oh, yes. the new Georgia voting regulations oh, yes. amounted to Jim Crow 2.0. And so he was upset that... And this is what he quit over? Yes. But Axios doesn't tell you that. So they write this whole thing and they don't have the freaking story. They don't even inform the readers what the disagreement was about. How can I be smart if ridiculous. you won't if you won't tell me? Yeah, you cannot be smart. You cannot be having smart. Having read Axios, this story, you, you can do only that. be a racial bean counter. But he, yes, and that's exactly what this story does. And it gets it wrong as it does it. But the tokenism Yeah, they can't the even count black their, people. Yeah. But the 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 nose counting and all of this stuff is no wonder it's and I would imagine that despite the errata in this story, that this is exactly what Jonathan Capehart had wanted and that this was a huge problem, that, that, this, that this kind of coverage is a huge problem in the eyes of the Washington Post management, who, by the way, just added a bunch of new voices of all different kinds, which is a good sign. And also, Jonathan- well, I'm sure they want, don't let the door hit you on the way out, Jonathan. Yeah, because he was not a good- columnist he was very predictable and very kind of hacky 
All right, over to you, Chris. Oh, local news. We want more of it. It's good and it's important, right? This is a this is a good and important thing. So the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the only the only kind of local news that broadly speaking is profitable is what? TV, local TV, traffic and weather together on the eights. When will the bridge be closed and who got who who was it that got shot outside of the Piggly Wiggly? This is news reporting that people want and need and local TV news is the only really good news story of the past 20 years, but they still face their own challenges. The FCC, which has governance over local television, is setting up a takeover, a, here's what publication I want to be, a TV tech, trade pub. Okay. The FCC has been reviewing Standard General's proposed $8.6 billion acquisition of Tegna in the past, a referral to a hearing before its administrative law judge has delayed or derailed deals. Tegna stock fell about 25% in after-hours trading, and the FCC, after the FCC announced the decision, the move came more than a year after the deal was first announced and has followed extensive requests for comments and documents from the FCC. The FCC is trying to kill this acquisition. Tegna is the Gannett, and I think I'm getting this right, is the spinoff from Gannett, it's it, it the TV, and I forget how many TV stations it has. If you want local news, you have to let these kinds of things happen, right? You have to let these kind of things happen because you know what will happen to Tegna if it's not purchased and and it will go away, right? That's not, they, they don't have the right economies of scale. They don't have the right funding. They don't have the right stuff. And the FCC, if the, if the FCC takes seriously its its role in fostering local journalism, you can't try to kill things like this because because you think that it's anti-competitive, which is the new buzz phrase for the Biden administration. <laughs> that Chris, was a good that was a good chortle. That was a high quality chortle. <laughs> Chris, that brings me to my favorite section of the week, our reader mail. And we have a note from EJ who hails from Charlotte and EJ writes, dear Eliana and Chris, I love the show and especially your great chemistry. I love how Eliana feigns disgust at terrible journalism and hypocrisy. Well, that it's not feigned. <laughs> While Chris interrupts his own thoughts on politics because his own story reminded him of a great item of Americana that he had to share. I particularly remember him neck deep in a story about a house negotiation that somehow made him think of some local food item that he used to eat as a child in West Virginia. This Love checks it. out. Yes. Most everything we hear in the news paints a dour picture of not only our current state, but our future. I thought this article found deep in the back of Section A in the Wall Street Journal Saturday Sunday paper above the fold puts our future in the context of our present and past. In short, we're doing better than our parents and more people are moving into higher income quartiles than sliding back down back down the line and getting poorer. I think we all fear our kids will be worse off than we are, but this article helps you know the kids will be all right. And we will link the piece. It is to a Wall Street Journal opinion piece by Phil, by Phil Graham, Graham and, and John, John Early. And it cites my yes, friend Michael, Michael Strain. Strain's work here at the American Enterprise Institute. So EJ from Charlotte, this is like quadruple ink-stained wretch points. You have you have hit the tilt on the ink-stained wretch's pinball machine. Thank totally. you very much. Chris, that brings us to your favorite time of the week. Where I am forced to say something nice, but you will lead by example. Do you know? Hit who, it, baby. Do you know who Yarmer Yager is? No. Okay. That sound like someone I would know. Well, when you were when you were but knee high to a, a grasshopper, he was part of a couple of Pittsburgh Penguins teams that won the Stanley Cup in the early 1990s, including one against the Minnesota North Stars, your hometown team. And Yarmer Yager comes from the Czech Republic, from the town of Kladant Kladno in the Czech Republic, which is in sort of if you were to draw a line from Munich to Berlin, it would be so just west of Prague. And Okay, Christopher Columbus. And, and it is in a area of the Czech Republic, much like the Ohio Valley. It's the Rust Belt, right? It's a deindustrialized Rust Belt place. Now, Yarmer Yager is 51 years old. And he has bought the hometown hockey team 
in Kladno, and he has left the NHL after playing well past, well into okay. the prime years, and he went back to Kladno. And the New York Times, David Waldstein, wrote the most wonderful story. The, the Times sent him to the Czech Republic, and he wrote up the Yarmor Jager, and it is the sweetest, loveliest, greatest. It's just, it could be a movie uh, about this guy and what he did. It really, it really pleased me. And to see the parallel, when he came to Pittsburgh, he was 17 and he had the world's greatest mullet. And do you know what he did with his signing bonus money? What? He bought an IROC. So he What's like, IROC? oh, a Camaro. He bought a, he bought a, a, a muscle car and had his cool mullet and acid wash jeans. And he had very, very clearly come to the right place in the world. And he yeah. was immediately taken to the bosom of the Ohio Valley. And I just, I love this piece. It's so nice. And this is my favorite part, and then I'll stop talking about it. Yager's play helps the team stave off the threat of relegation from the Czech Republic's top, top hockey league and bankruptcy, keeps badly needed money flowing from sponsors, many of whom prefer to be associated with his name and likeness rather than the last place club. Mostly, and this is where I really dialed in, Mostly, Yager still plays because he adores it, because he can, and because he loves to eat. Yager's playing weight in the NHL was roughly 240 pounds. These days, he's between 265 and 270, he said. But like retirement, dieting is not in his immediate future. First of all, it's fun, he said, while scarfing down a ham sandwich in a modest VIP lounge of the newly renovated city-owned stadium in Clodno. Second, if you stop, you are going to get fat and unhealthy and get surgeries on back, knees, and hips. I would crash down. I see it on everybody else. I'm not doing that. I want to have a happy life, so I'm going to work hard until I die because it's the only way. And I'm like, sandwiches I and like keep that. working. I like it. Ham sandwiches, too. I do love a ham sandwich. All right, my favorite item is is an homage to you, which is that an Amsterdam murder suspect was caught with a bag of meat at the Lisbon air, airport, fueling cannibal rumor. This was a 25-year-old man, but I just wanted to bring it to your attention because these are the perils of the lifestyle you lead, Chris. Yeah, traveling around with bags of meat, you know, you got to, so just I want everybody to know, it will always be beef, pork, or lamb, maybe occasionally chicken. It's not, I'm not carrying any human remains with me. And that is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches, produced by Colin Chicola in his canoe. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. 